coming up on this episode of Here's an Idea. Hearing loss is quite common in my family. And, uh, you know, everybody has a hearing aid and nobody uses them. <laughs> so I've always, you know, been uh, quite fascinated by how uh, bad this technology is. That was the genesis of this idea to try and see as engineers, could we build a affordable hearing aid and what would it take and how good would that be? He told um, myself and my coworker who helped design this that we saved his marriage because him and his wife no longer fight over the TV volume. That was the sweetest thing. This episode of Here's an Idea is brought to you by Futech Advanced Sensor Technology. Futech helps leading innovators shape the future by providing custom sensing and test measurement instruments for groundbreaking applications. Futech solutions push the limits of measurement capabilities and development to reinvent and redefine sensor technology. One day, Kent Flanagan, a doctor at Veterans Affairs, got a phone call. One of the veterans, a patient in his 70s, was doing something that, at first glance, seemed a bit odd. The patient was taking drinking straws and sticking those straws into his ear. This is Nikki Beitenman who works with Dr. Flanagan at the Ralph H. Johnson VA Medical Center in Charleston, South Carolina. It turns out that the patient, a Vietnam War veteran named Michael Nicoletti, was being resourceful. He had collapsed ear cartilage in both ears. He couldn't hear. The straws were an inventive way for him to prop up the ear cartilage so that he could. And it's basically the outside of his ear is collapsed. So he's not a candidate for hearing aids because he can hear fine as soon as you can get through that external cartilage. So he was using those drinking straws. So they came to us with the idea of, hey, can we kind of mimic something along the lines of what he had already thought of, but just make it safer for him? Because, of course, the fear was he was going to stick the straw too far in his ear and it was going to get stuck or damage his ear or anything along those lines. Nikki is a biomedical engineer. She supervises the additive manufacturing section of the VA center meaning she's often working with the facility's 17 3D printers. With additive manufacturing systems, it turns out you can make a variety of helpful medical devices on the fly, including bed rails or dentures or anatomical models, so that your patient doesn't have to stick straws in his ears. Dr. Flanagan went to Nikki to see if she and her fellow engineer Bethany Baldwin could draw up some ideas in CAD, or computer-aided design, and find biocompatible materials for a 3D printed stent. Nikki teases Dr. Flanagan about his early design. It was very simple. I joke the message that Dr. Flanagan sent me was an etch on like Microsoft Paints. And when he sent it to me on Teams, he, he was like, you probably won't be able to process this. It's too much for your computers to handle. <laughs> so yeah, the best ideas always start with the worst drawings. So Dr. Flanagan and Bethany Baldwin and Nikki went through different prototypes making fast changes whenever they received feedback from their patient. The VA team tried cylinders, oval shapes, different lengths, and different materials. We would give him one, let him try it. He would come back into the clinic, give us feedback, and then we'd make changes and kind of go from there until we got something that worked well. In this episode of Here's an Idea, we'll learn all about this hearing aid that Nikki and her team came up with, along with three other ideas that are helping people hear better. Some ideas are simpler than others. We'll speak to an inventor, for example, who made a hearing aid that costs only $5. 
and we'll speak to two other researchers who are going for something far more complex and expensive. Systems that improve hearing by monitoring the brain. So here's an idea. Hearing aids. For something that's basically a straw, Nikki's 3D printed stent went through a bunch of modifications. The final result, a kind of tube with a flange on the end. Smaller than your pinky finger, the cylindrical device has a wide opening to block it from actually falling into the ear. Then, there's a removal tab on the end of the device to pull it out. The device is made from a patent-protected biocompatible resin that's both sturdy and soft. Here's Nikki again. We used a bunch of different materials. We went rock-hard solid to way too soft, and then just kind of kept trialing in the middle to figure out something um, that was the right fit for him. So we really did fall almost like exactly in the middle between super, super hard and really, really soft. In addition to a trial of different materials, the team had to try different forms. The first prototype was a device that matched his ear exactly. The first idea was we made a device that was the exact shape of his inner ear. Like it completely matched. It was a print of the mold of his ear, basically, and we just hollowed it out. Um, but he had difficulty inserting that into his ear because of the curvature of your inner ear. I also know way more about ears now than I ever knew, <laughs> ever thought I would know. So we started with the mold. Then we kind of just adjusted the mold until we got something that he could insert easily and was also so comfortable. And with 3D printers and a team that knows how to use them and also knows how to use CAD, you can make prototypes quickly and at a low cost. I'm decent at CAD, but like my coworkers are fabulous at CAD. They can crack something out within minutes. It's amazing. So we can draw something really quick and then printing time. So like these little ear scents, they print in, in about 20 minutes for 16 cents of resin. So they're very cheap and very fast to print. Dr. Flanagan, the audiologist, did testing to ensure that the stent truly was improving the patient's hearing. It worked. It passed the audiology standards. It also passed another more informal test, the television. His story was he judges his hearing based on the TV volume. So he said he has to keep, he had to keep it at like a 40 or 45. And then when he had these in, he only has to put it to 20. So he told um, myself and my coworker who helped design this that we saved his marriage because him and his wife no longer fight over the TV volume. That was the sweetest thing. The idea came about in September of 2020. It received FDA approval for compassionate use in February of this year. Compassionate use means that only one person, in this case Michael Nicoletti, is allowed to use the device. After all, the device has to be customized to everyone's individual ears. Everyone has different ears and ear shapes. Upcoming clinical trials will allow Nikki and her team to expand its use, to make a kind of patient-specific kit for anybody who needs a stent. I actually love this idea. They want us to make them a little tackle box. So basically, Every, we're going to do, I think, like eight different lengths. We're going to do four different diameters, different flange sizes, um, and then have them all soft and all a harder material. So hopefully by giving them all the options we can possibly think of in a tackle box, they'll just be able to fit the patient right there when they come in so we don't have to go through and design from scratch.
Saad Bamla is a Georgia Tech professor and bioengineer. He likes to build his designs from scratch, too. Saad wants you to have a kind of tackle box of your own, to build a hearing aid yourself. He knows from personal experience that hearing aids are way too expensive. I was in India and I wanted to buy hearing aids for my own grandmother and grandfather and realized that although I felt pretty uh, confident as I was uh, doing my engineering and I thought that I could afford a phone, I should be able to afford, you know, a hearing aid for my own grandparents. And it was a very sobering experience to go to buy one and realize that although I could afford a phone, as a young adult in India, hearing aids were uh, shockingly out of uh, budget. The average cost of a pair of hearing aids in the United States is $4,700. The total cost of all the components in hearing aids should not cost that much, says Saad. Saad's idea? To get a hearing aid that costs as much as a cup of coffee. He and a fellow student at Georgia Tech, someone who has hearing impairments of his own, started discussing ideas for low-cost technologies. A student and I were discussing ideas for low-cost technologies, and oftentimes this has always been true. We try to solve these problems for ourselves first rather than others because that's more meaningful. We're trying to solve a problem that bugs us. And during our discussions, he apologized to me because his hearing aid batteries had died, and I was uh, both delighted and excited because I realized I had a student who would be wanting to work on this because this is a personal problem. Saad expressed to the student that he wanted to make a good, low-cost hearing aid. What would soon be called Locaid. L-O-C-H-A-I-D. That was the genesis of this idea to try and see, as engineers, could we build a affordable hearing aid and what would it take and how good would that be? High-end hearing devices? They have noise cancellation and software processing and augmentation capabilities. Saad's device? Much like Nikki's 3D-printed ear tube from our introduction, it lacks any high-end bells and whistles. The idea is to make a device similar to something like those reader glasses you can find at Walgreens. Our goal wasn't to make this BMW of hearing aid. So a minimal hearing aid, basic, just like in an airplane you may get a dollar headphones, right? Something that gets the job done but is rugged. It doesn't have Bluetooth, for example. It's not doing any active noise cancellation. It's not doing any software processing. We're keeping things as simple as possible. Again, customer uh, in mind is somebody who is at kind of in the lower and middle income uh, denomination, and that's millions of people that traditional hearing aids are not catering to. So that's what we are thinking about. The device is worn much like a lanyard, and the technology directs the sound toward the wearer, who's also wearing headphones. The technology applies a specific cutoff and amplifies higher frequencies rather than the lower ones. The frequency filter specifically increases the volume of high-pitched sounds above 1000 Hz. The circuit board contains an electric microphone, a stereo amplifier, which amplifies the sound, a potentiometer to change the volume as needed, and then there's a battery. The sound is then sent to the headphones. So why does a hearing aid cost so much? if these parts are so cheap. It's a market problem more than a cost problem, says Pamela. The actual parts for a hearing aid should not cost even in dollars more than say 50 or 60, 70, 100 dollars, even the best ones, right? It's essentially uh, the cost a consumer is willing to pay. And if the cost of a hearing aid accurately reflected the costs of its components, people may treat them differently, 
says Saad. If I knew the cost of this thing was a couple of dollars, I could keep one in my car, keep one in the pocket drawer. I could use it a little bit more roughly and not have to leave it in a drawer, protecting it every time it rains or protecting it every time I go out into the field or I'm a rickshaw puller or something like that. Another advantage of Saad's device? You can build it yourself. Though Locate is big to keep costs down, its components are ones that are easy to find, like AA batteries. If it breaks or something, you can just fix it yourself. Or, you know, at a corner store where in most of these economies, you don't just toss away an iPhone after a year and buy the new one. You actually fix things, you repair things. If you can locally manufacture and distribute the device, says Saad, you can keep costs low and create a kind of local economy. The device uses open source, non-copyrighted electronics that you can find off the shelf. There's no closed box approach here. So everything that's in this hearing aid, we provide all the designs and that's kind of the philosophy. Essentially saying, well, you know, there is nothing, there's no IP here. Saad says that anyone with a few fix-it skills and a soldering iron can build the hearing aid by following the step-by-step instructions available online. Maybe a mildly skilled person with all the components uh, could put it together. Maybe if you know how to use a soldering iron, you could do it about maybe 45 minutes. Next, Saad and his team will work on changing the form factor of Lockade, shrinking the hearing device down to only a set of headphones. That kind of change will, of course, increase costs. Currently, at bulk quantities, Saad says he can make the device for about a dollar each. Consolidating the technology into headphones would bring the cost to about $7 each. I thought that this was, uh, to me, a goal worthy for where I grew up in India and for a huge community of my people that would benefit. But I get emails from people in, uh, you know, southeast Georgia, um, in the Midwest, in rural parts of the United States that say they would benefit from accessible hearings aids because it's essentially, I was thinking about this for markets and uh, people who would need these kind of hearing aids, accessible ones far away. It turns out in my own backyard, uh, rural places of uh, Alabama, Georgia, people need hearing aids. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsor. Futech Advanced Sensor Technology specializes in the research and development of sensors that measure force, torque, or pressure. For the past three decades, Futech has had the privilege to work with leading institutions such as NASA on groundbreaking missions like the 2012 Curiosity Mars rover and the upcoming Viper Lunar rover. To find out more about how their solutions and capabilities help support innovation in aerospace, visit www.futech.com. There you can check out applications like a multi-axial torque sensor and instrumentation system for quadcopter propeller testing, or the use of force measurement in the launch mechanisms of unmanned aerial vehicles. You can also explore over 100 application concepts across multiple industries, illustrating the limitless possibilities of Futex products. We focus so far on low cost, somewhat simple hearing devices. But there's plenty of work being done on sophisticated technologies that cost more than a cup of coffee. These ones are more complex and high cost because they monitor the brain. Watching brain activity helps with a specific problem that hearing aids are challenged with, the cocktail party problem. Imagine a scenario where everyone's talking at once, a cocktail party. 
It's hard for a listener to pick out speech in a situation with that many people speaking. You want to listen to one person, but you don't know who that person is. Modern hearing aids are excellent at amplifying speech while suppressing certain types of background noise, like traffic. But they struggle to boost the volume of an individual voice over others. That's actually when you know, people need their hearing aid the most, but they end up using it uh, least. Because you know, the current hearing aids, they have this tendency that they just amplify the sounds, right? And whatever is in the background is also gets amplified. And then they will have difficulty separating you know, the, ba- the amplified background from the source that you're interested in. This is Dr. Nima Mezgarani, a professor at Columbia University and a lead researcher in the university's Neural Acoustic Processing Lab. Nima wanted to make a hearing aid that zeroed in on and recognized the person doing the speaking. Hearing loss is quite uh, you know, uh, common in my family. And uh, you know, everybody has a hearing aid and nobody uses them. <laughs> so I've always you know, been uh, quite fascinated by how uh, bad this technology is. You know? And it's a pretty mature technology. It's been around forever, but still, you know, like it's uh, something that most people are not happy with. When Dr. Mezgarani was a grad student before his days at Columbia University, he became interested in speech enhancement, particularly how to enhance speech algorithmically. The device that Nima and his team are working on now targets the person that you want to listen to. It turns out that you can use brainwave activity to amplify the important person, the talker at the cocktail party. And then you can turn everybody else down. Mezgarani discovered that when two people talk to each other, the brainwaves of the speaker begin to resemble the brainwaves of the listener. With this knowledge, the team combined powerful speech separation algorithms with neural networks. They created a system that first separates out the voices of individual speakers from a group and then compares the voices of each speaker to the brainwaves of the person listening. The speaker whose voice pattern most closely matches the listener's brainwaves is then amplified over the rest. What we uh, discovered is that when we look at the brainwaves of a listener, we see that they track the voice that they are paying attention to. All right, so you know, if you're having a conversation and there are other sound of sounds in the background, let's say other talkers are in the background. Uh, if I'm listening to to you, for example, uh, you know, my brain waves is going to go up and down with your voice and not with anybody else's voice. Then the system compares brainwave activity to see if it's going up or down with a particular person's voice. If there's a match, the system can amplify that sound source and suppress everyone else. So as a result, if we have a, me- a way of measuring the brainwave of a listener, uh, we can then compare them to all the sound sources in the environment, and we find which sound source they most correspond to, and we take that as an indication that this is the conversation that they want to focus on. And then we can do something. We can amplify that person, we can suppress the other sounds, and that's how we use the brainwaves. The system, as you might expect, is still in the research phase. The form factor ideas vary too. Measuring brain activity is going to require more intrusive technologies and not just a simple earbud. You'll need to put the electrode somewhere. A person can wear a cap, uh, you know, you can have uh, electrodes that are like very discreetly placed around the ear. You know, some are even shaped like a hearing aid that, you know, the hearing aid that you usually put behind your ear could have also electrodes that can record uh, brain activity. And, you know, as I said, in the extreme, we can have cases that you can have a limited small uh, implant to record the neural data very accurately. Now their device could be a kind of mind reader. Dr. Mezgarani showed me a demo of the system's brain-like way 
of finding someone in the crowd. We can now think of a, a system like this, that you, know, you have a, an algorithm that records the sounds in the environment, separate them out into individual uh, sources, individual streams, and now looks at the brain data and reconstruct back the sound from the brain of the, the, the subject and compares that sound to all the individual sounds in the environment. And if one is more similar to that, then that sound gets amplified. And I have a demo of that that I can show you. Here's a demonstration of two speakers talking at once. How, How to, to take be care a shepherd. Of a dog. Dogs a shepherd are great companions for a variety of, of people. Now, notice the shift as the listener focuses their attention on the male speaker. All if over you do the not world, have a dog yet, any place you need to understand the difference between breeds before making a choice. In this example, the system records both conversations and the listener's brain data. Internally, the system compares the brain activity to the speech and amplifies the one that's most similar. Dr. Mesgarani still faces plenty of challenges. Reverberation, for example, makes it difficult to separate sound sources. Also, there's kind of a chicken and egg problem, says Mesgarani. There are some basic science questions that we have to solve. Um, like, for example, if a person is not able to, to hear very accurately to begin with, do they have enough neural signature that we can use to detect what the conversation that, you know, which conversation they want to focus on. While Mezgarani says you may only need a tiny neural signature, there's still a lot of work to be done before we'll see this technology at a cocktail party. We've shown that you don't really need to be able to fully understand the conversation. If you're just able to, to pick out pieces of it, that gives us enough neural signature that we can use that to, to detect which conversation is a target. But these other uh, things that I talked about, like better neural recording methods, better hardware, uh, better algorithms, these are all you know, the things that are, you know, the field is collectively trying to solve. And uh, those are the challenges that remain before we can uh, see this technology you know, in uh, real world scenarios. Ben Summers, a researcher at KU Leuven in Belgium, wants to monitor brain activity too, to make sure that someone not only hears a sound, but understands it. It turns out that hearing something and understanding something gives off very different brain activity signatures. Different neurons fire in different situations. A brainwave that indicates whether you understand speech can be found after around 200 milliseconds in the auditory cortex, for example. A brainwave that just indicates if you heard a sound is already present after five milliseconds in the brainstem. The system that Ben Summers is working on can decode the brainwave signatures. Why is it so important to know if someone truly understands? That's something you want to know if you're an audiologist who's fitting someone with a cochlear implant. If you try to assess someone's hearing, for instance, if you have a hearing loss and you go to an audiologist, what will usually happen is they will give you an, an hearing aid or an, or an implant and they will ask you, how does this sound? How does that sound? Do you understand this? And you give a response. This is Ben. And that's what we say is, is subjective or verbal uh, feedback. But you can imagine that this is very difficult. For example, young children that are deaf, they do not really can understand or, or know how to reply to these questions. You have elderly persons that have dementia. You have persons that may be in a coma and you want to hear if they understand you. These are all clinical populations that cannot give subjective feedback. Ben Summer's system provides an objective assessment, one where no active participation is required. It interprets brainwaves by looking at mainly two characteristics, 
One is the timing when the brainwaves occur, and two is where in the brain they occur. These indicators demonstrate when a listener understands. Ben wants to use the brain activity to address a problem with cochlear implants. The communication is only going in one direction. Before we get into that, let's talk a bit about cochlear implants. A regular cochlear implant, one that hundreds of thousands of people worldwide use every day, consists of two parts. The external part is worn behind the ear and contains a microphone, battery, and little computer that processes sounds. The internal part, the actual implant, is put in place during a surgery. A cochlear implant's most important component is a set of tiny electrodes that are inserted into the cochlea, which is also known as the organ of hearing. These electrodes receive information from the external part through a wireless connection and stimulate the hearing nerve with small electrical currents. This stimulation of the hearing nerve is interpreted by the brain as sound. It's a kind of trick in a way, so the user can hear again. Ben and his research team were able to give another function to a cochlear implant. The electrodes are not only used for stimulation, but they're also used simultaneously as a sensor to measure brainwaves. We use the implant as a sensor to measure brainwaves, and these brainwaves can then be interpreted by the, the electronics on the implant to give a measure of, okay, I am hearing this well with the implant. This kind of objective measurement can be made with an EEG, where electrodes are placed on the head so that brainwaves can be measured. Ben Summers and his colleagues partnered with a manufacturer called Cochlear to demonstrate the potential of brainwave measurement in supporting calibration of hearing devices. There's no wireless connection to the implant. Instead, the connection is through a little cable that goes through the skin. This way, Ben and his team can directly access the implanted electrodes and attach a brainwave recorder to them. The team succeeded in using implanted electrodes to record the brainwaves that arise in response to sound. That's a first, says Ben. And with a measurement of brain activity, decisions can be made autonomously. In the future, Ben hopes that this recording technology can be integrated into regular cochlear implants to even have the device regulate itself. This could be a lot of things. So um, when a cochlear implant, it, it records sounds with a little microphone and it converts it to an electrical stimulation. This happens through algorithms and these algorithms have hundreds or thousands of settings that you can all tune and they all affect the, the hearing uh, quality. So, of course, at the moment, it is very impractical for audiologists to check each of these settings. And an implant could make decisions on some of these settings. It's a bit like self-driving. We often compare it a bit to, for example, an electrical car, um, where you also have a car, you put sensors on it, and you hope that it can make decisions to drive itself. The technology could even potentially be used to monitor sleep or attention. What if brainwaves could show if you were truly listening, or if you really got a good night's rest? We've heard about a whole range of hearing aid devices, from 3D printed straws and $5 build-it-yourself lanyard boxes, to systems that can almost literally read your mind. This variety of technologies demonstrates a diversity in people's hearing problems. Whether it's collapsed cartilage, or an age-related decline, or a genetic condition leading to deafness. The range of invention also suggests how truly vital a sense of hearing is. Here's Saad Bamla again who created the cup of coffee hearing aid. As you grow older, if either you don't know that you have hearing loss or if you don't correct it with some amplification devices, 
um, you know, it can make you socially isolated. Saad brought up an interesting example. Look at it this way. You just asked me to make three recordings of this talk on my phone, your Zoom, my Zoom, because you know sound quality is so important. And a listener with 10 millisecond delay or issues or noise will get frustrated. And it's really, really embarrassing. And, you know, it just doesn't work. So you know the importance of this. And just imagine that if that was your life day in, day out for every small interaction, whether you're at the bank or on a phone, isn't it? important that some of us at least think of how to try to address this problem? Absolutely. Even if your idea is as simple as a straw. To our listeners out there, if you want to learn more about the technology featured in today's interview, go to techbriefs.com podcast. Here you can also find our previous episodes of Here's an Idea. You can also get these episodes from your favorite podcast provider, like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Stitcher. I'm Billy Hurley. Thanks for being with us on Here's an Idea.